Hi, Eugene. Hey, how's it going? Going great. Um, I wanted to talk about kind of what you think should happen when someone has decided to try things out as a freelancer or a business, whatever they call it. What do you think needs to happen? What do you think is a must kind of as soon as you've decided that and stuff like that? So I was thinking you are now a freelancer and you're trying to get your first client, right? Or maybe you have a person or group you're working with and, okay, you have a new contract for, I don't know, a couple months to do some work. I feel like a lot of the stuff that you need 100% will sort of be asked from you by the person you're servicing. So maybe they need to invoice you. So you need to have like a business address or like a business tax ID number or something. I don't like, I don't really know what these are called, but I feel like the initial sort of steps of getting a contract involves having some sort of entity that someone can pay you against. Mm, And that would be the first steps. I see. Um, Interesting. Well, um, the truth is that you don't need an entity necessarily. So, um, I mean, there are exceptions. Like if you have a license kind of issue or like if you're a franchisee or if you're serving food or something that's highly regulated, like food service or tobacco or I don't know, whatever it is, um, then you can kind of work under your own name for quite some time, I want to say. Um, and that's kind of the common, I feel like common belief that you need something, you need like a lawyer or, and that's why a lot of people don't start or don't try things out. So, so say I get a contract to do some work, right? It's a one month contract to write some code. I'm assuming that person will eventually send me like a 1099 or or there will be a discussion about how I want to be paid. And that's when do I start an entity? Do I just work under myself will come up? Well, it should come up kind of a little earlier than that. But <clears throat> let's say for you, if you were to just, you know, have write a code for someone, what you would do is you would kind of need to, the only thing that you really need to decide on is whether or not it's going to be just this one time or is it going to be ongoing? Are there going to be other clients that you'll pursue and, and stuff like that? And the reason that you kind of need to decide that on that is, well, you can start working under your own name, right? You will get a 1099 under your social and kind of report it on, I don't know, Schedule C. Mm-hmm. Uh, which probably means nothing to you, but um, it's a kind of the self-employed reporting part of your tax return. But it won't make it any more complicated. I'll just have to enter the second form, right? The 1099. Yeah. Yeah, but then you would pay a lot of tax on that income and chances are that you did have or will have some sort of expenses related to that business. You know, maybe you purchased the software, maybe you 
uh, upgraded your computer because of this client or um, maybe used your home to manage this business or whatever. I mean, whether whether you think about it as a business or not doesn't change the fact that in the eyes of the IRS, you are a business. So you can have business expenses. And um, honestly, when you are generating some sort of income, you do you want to reduce your income by the expenses related to that income? Otherwise, you're paying too much tax. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be tax beneficial to just pretend that it's another W-2. Like if I need to buy a computer for work, maybe I'll buy it myself and they'll reimburse me. But like, for example, now I bought a monitor and it's 100% like a work expense, but they told us they wouldn't cover it. So I just, you know, bought a monitor. But if I was a 1099 worker, you're saying that would sort of be a business expense and I could somehow get that, like a deduction from it? Yeah, of course. A couple of years ago, you used to be able to, there was a provision uh, that you were able to uh, deduct work-related unreimbursed employee expenses, but uh, they took that deduction away in 2017, at the end of 2017. Mm -hmm. Because now I am for sure using part of my home for work. So I had to buy pretty much a whole setup, a chair, desk, monitor, all that stuff. And none of that's reimbursed. So I just bought it as if it's furniture for me, which I guess it is. Well, I mean, um, I'm not giving any kind of legal or tax advice here, but like, let's say if you were performing the same work, but for this company and for maybe a couple of other companies or another one, or you were in it to kind of get more of those types of engagements, mm-hmm. um, you would be considered a business. And basically all of those expenses would be potentially deductible. Plus you could deduct a part of your rent and, and things like that. So, But not for me because I'm just W2 working full-time for one company and I just happen to buy yeah. basic office supplies. Correct. Yeah, that's pretty much... Because yeah. I have heard that some companies, you know, offer like 800 bucks for their full-time employees to set up their office. I wasn't, I wasn't given this money, but I heard that some people at other companies were. Well, typically, <clears throat> typically I would think that that money would be potentially taxable, but I mean, they still give it to you, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I would assume it would just be part of my paycheck. It would be some sort of like yeah. dispensation of yep. like a one-time most payment. Likely. Yeah, it would be most likely taxable. Um, there used to be some qualifying expenses that were excluded from your income on a W-2, but I f- believe those were kind of minimized to only very few specific things. Um, can't remember what they are now, but. Definitely okay. not home office expense. So now that I'm more or less set up, right, and I have this W-2 job, and let's say that in, I don't know, five years, I want to have five clients that are, like, I'm doing the same work that I am for my job, but I moved on, and now I have a couple clients that I write code for. 
I have to do something different now? There's a like a better tax strategy? There is definitely a better tax strategy. I mean, there is a ton, which uh, we won't be able to cover in one episode, but what I kind of wanted to, um, um, to, to kind of give you um, an idea of was, I mean, it's okay when you have one client, it's okay to start with just working under your own name, unless, like I've said, like I said, it's, it's a license or permit requiring activity like food service, for example. Um, so that's okay for you to kind of wing it for a couple of months until you see whether or not you're getting more clients, like it becomes a real business. A lot of folks don't consider um, what they do as a freelancer or if they have a side hustle or something, they don't consider it a business. So they don't treat it as such. And that's, I think, where they kind of miss out on the things that they can do and kind of set themselves up for not for, I don't want to say failure, but kind of like for, for a lot of issues and taxes and all of that. But it's okay to do that for a couple of months, especially if it's kind of during the same calendar year when you don't, um, the year kind of ends and you have to pay tax. But if you're starting something out, like, I don't know, in October, it's fine to wing it for a couple of months. Then once you see, okay, I'm getting another client is interested and, and so on and so forth, then it makes sense to like reevaluate. And, you know, regardless of whether or not that happens, treat it as a business. That's kind of the, probably the most important part. And what I mean by that and what it mean what it means for you is if you treat it as a business, separate your expenses and income from your personal account. So if you have another account, another checking, for example, or savings, um, designate an account to to be used for business only. And whenever you have some personal stuff, um, pay it out of, you know, transfer from business, quote unquote, business to personal, and then pay from personal. That's where a lot of people kind of get themselves into like a lot of issues because, I mean, think about it from the IRS perspective. If someone is a freelancer, right? And they, everything happens in their own like bank account, personal bank account. And they have, I don't know, um, meals expense, for example, right? So they go to a restaurant and they meet with a client. I've had a client who only met with clients at like restaurants because that's how you would interview, um, uh, let's say an, an event planner, right? You would eat together, you would discuss stuff. And like a lot of those meals, are tax deductible. But then if it all happens in, in the same account as your personal restaurant, then the IRS would say, well, how do we know? Since everything is mixed up together, how do we know that it's specifically business? We're going to assume that it's actually personal. And then you have to like prove, oh, I met with this client. Imagine if that happens 10,000 times a year. So like, that's kind of, you know, one of the things that you should keep in mind. So it's okay to wing it if it's okay to not have a company right away. But I would say three to six months down the road, if you see your side hustle, let's say a freelance gig is developing into something bigger, then it's time to maybe stop and reevaluate and, and kind of decide whether or not you want it to be a separate entity. So you would consider being a freelancer like a small business? It absolutely is. That's how it's treated by the IRS, and that's how you should treat it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so 
let's say I have a second client and there came up a talk of like, okay, how do you want to be paid? And now I have to like sort of decide, do I want to start like another entity or do I want to keep working as myself? Cause I only have two clients. This is kind of new. How would I go about deciding that? Um, well, so like, yeah, I going forward, I want to just have these clients. What do you mean by just have? So like no more W2. I want to have these small contract-based projects that I'm doing. Okay. Um, well, so what I would recommend, um, well, first of all, I want to say that, you know, it's a lot of folks ask me or like, do I need a lawyer to do that? I mean, I think you know that you don't, right? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know why I would need a lawyer, because, like in my case, the business would be pretty straightforward. I sit on my computer, I write some code, I give that code to someone else. <laughs> well, um, no, for like or- organizing in a company, for example, a lot of folks think that they need an attorney for that, but so a lot of folks also, yeah. I guess I wouldn't think about lawyers until I have like an employee or maybe even if I contract out something else. So like until I start dealing with people that are sort of working for me, I wouldn't think about getting a lawyer. Hmm. Well, like who's going to sue yeah. me? <laughs> well, lawyers are not only useful when someone sues you, but <laughs> But um, a lot of folks think that in order to open an entity, for example, you need an attorney. Like, do I need, like, I've had, just had a kind of a, a friends that we hang out with usually, well, not now, but usually that we hang out with, um, they asked, oh, they want to start a company. And they, their first question was, do we need, do we need a lawyer? Do we pay a lawyer? The answer is most, most cases, no. Um, if you are to form an entity, then you can kind of do it through a, a registrar. And I've had someone use LegalZoom, which is fine, but the only problem was that they formed an LLC in New York, and in New York it has to be published in a newspaper for six weeks, right. and they didn't do it. And that's kind of a a risk. I don't know if the LegalZoom told them and they didn't pay attention or they didn't tell them, you know what I mean? Like, uh, But... I mean, you need that requirement yeah. just sounds like a joke. Like, have you ever seen someone public, like publicly declaring their business? I, don't, I haven't picked up a newspaper in years. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's so that it's searchable. So it's for LLCs only. So corporations don't have that requirement, but um, it's a kind of a pain in the neck, but that's what it is. And if you don't do it, there is like, there's something that you cannot do. And technically the state can shut down your LLC if they want to. Like there's all kinds of, you know, things that, and every state is different. So like in New York, it's that. So in California, LLCs pay like $800 LLC tax every year. So like there are all these little wrinkles that you won't know, but here's the thing. You don't need a lawyer to know that. You can have a registrar. I use a company called Acumera. They're in Albany, New York, and they can do pretty much registration in any any state that you want. So, like, they know all this stuff. So you don't necessarily need an attorney or an expensive attorney to to get that handled. But 
um, I feel like the probably the most important thing that you need is an experienced accountant to help you figure out what's the best entity. Because truth is, a lot of folks read online. There's a lot of obviously material online. A lot of folks, a lot of attorneys recommend LLCs. But from a tax perspective, it's like one of the worst ones. <laughs> so a good accountant, a tax planner, um, specifically, not just an accountant, could be a valuable investment um, in that. You know, I'm I'm actually working on the and the entity choice ma- matrix for like small businesses, but sometimes you don't only get one entity. You can benefit from a multi-tier, like a multi-entity structure. So, okay. So, I mean, I'm starting a business and there are some things that as a past W-2 employee, I just don't know. So, like, what you're telling me is that there's all this complexity that I just don't know about. So, I think it would be worth it for me to to do a consult with a tax planner first, maybe, or like, if I have a family friend or someone that I already know that is more knowledgeable, I'll probably go talk to them first and then schedule a consult with like a tax planner or maybe a, a lawyer. But I would sort of go based off of what that first person tells me and then do consults, which I'm assuming is cheaper than like, I don't think anyone's hiring lawyers on retainer right when they first start a consulting company. That's right. Yeah. Nobody does that. So, okay. I'll spend a couple thousand dollars getting all no, of it in order. <laughs> it's actually going to be less. Um, but here's the thing. There are a couple of pr- problems with what you are thinking. Uh, problem number one is that you know, as a tax planner, when people come to me and start telling me, oh, this, you know, I got a free consult from an attorney and they said I should do an S-corp. And my friend who was an accountant told me I should do an LLC. And this, nothing makes me more, um, I don't want to say angry, but like um, I roll uh, more than this kind of stuff. <laughs> but that also tells um, you that people don't, really care about that side of the business but that's that's the most that's the thing it's the most foundational side of the business because if you here's a here's an example if you mess up that initial foundation yes you can fix it but it it will cost you money every single year in tax until you fix it plus it will cost you money to actually get it fixed and i'll give you an example did i um i don't remember if i talked about this um on the podcast but I had a client who was a certain structure for many years, for 20 years maybe, and had an accountant, and I was doing some other work for for this guy, like a controller type work. And I was telling him, you should give me your tax business. And he was like, well, I'm getting a really good deal from the accountant. I was like, fine, that's, you know, that's your choice, whatever. And um, one year in December, I said, do you want me to take a look at your tax returns, you know, for, for last year? And he was like, sure. So I did. And sure enough, not only did I find that he could have deferred about 40 grand of income, I mean, of tax money deferred, like for, I don't know, 10 years, maybe. 
Um, but he also, the accountants who were giving him a good deal, um, basically messed up so that he overpaid about $80,000 in tax. And who knows, th that's only for that one year. And who knows what happened in prior years. And all of that was connected to the, not only the entity structure, but also to paying attention to the, to the type of income that he generated. So, um, I think it's kind of important. <laughs> it's important, but it's also one of those things where you start a business and you're so focused on doing the business part of it. And, at least in America, it seems that the tax code is overcomplicated to where large corporations that have the budget to have lawyers and accountants just on staff, they can benefit from the changing tax and legal environment. But smaller businesses, they just don't have the time to schedule these consults or pay the money to keep up with the tax and legal environment? Well, yes and no. Um, yes, kind of, but then no, because for most of my clients who are, who started out as tax planning clients for them, it's actually cheaper to have me involved because I pay, basically pay for myself in a sense that I create, I give them so, so much in tax savings and not just tax savings, um, savings from other places like their own business, that it's cheaper for them to pay me even my high fees, uh, because they still get a return on investment of at least two to 300% and oftentimes much more. Right. And they, and they use you because they see value but how do you even go about knowing if you could be doing something different? Like for me, I could start a consulting company, have two, three clients I write code for, they send me a 1099 and okay, I just decide my hourly rate and that's enough to live my life. And I might not be motivated to seek out this advice because I don't even know it's out there. Correct. Yes. And that's kind of why I'm, you know, writing a book and I launched a membership, um, because specifically of that, you don't know the danger in tax and accounting and the back office side of every business. That's, I, I think is the most foundational and important one is the danger is that you don't know what you don't know. And that's why, you know, I've been making a nice living doing tax planning because people, don't know. And then they end up paying a lot of money to get it fixed. But then all of those mess ups for, from prior years rarely can be recovered. So that's why we're talking today. That's to educate people, to give them ideas, to make them think about what do I not know? And what do I need to kind of figure out? Because to be honest with you, traditional accounting firms who are, you know, the traditional, um, hamster wheel kind of, getting as much clients as you can, um, getting the work done as a conveyor belt kind of thing. They don't really talk about that a lot. Um, they don't have time for that. They don't have time to spend, um, 
with every client, making sure that their taxes are minimized legally. Um, you know, telling someone to charge some personal stuff on their, on their business is not a tax strategy. Do you think that these big companies are just avoiding liability? They're just doing it the ultra conservative way without like diving into the client's personal situation? Like they can just have cookie cutter. Okay. You're going to fill out these forms and we're going to do your taxes this way for everyone. No, it's not, not, that's not kind of why and how it happens. It's basically because in order to make a decent living, well, accounting has been sort of quote unquote, um, commoditized, um, you know, and people think that people look for cheaper, a good, but cheaper guy, right. Or girl or whatever. Um, and that forces accounting firms, at least the traditional mindset accounting firms, to look at, okay, when I'm looking at a tax return, I'm looking at, okay, how many hours is gonna is it gonna take me? And then you have your hourly rate, you multiply that by, you know, by the estimate and hope that you're making money on this tax return, right? So that mindset of of providing people with what they need as opposed to what they want is not a winning proposition for for neither for accountants nor for clients because think about it um people hate do- doing their taxes right they have they hate thinking about it they hate the fact that they exist that <clears throat> there is this side of the business that they have to deal with everybody goes into the business because they love what they do or they see that there's potential to do something um that's different to make money or whatever <clears throat> and then um when you as an accountant provide something that people need, it forces people to kind of bargain with you to <clears throat> uh, price shop and so on and so forth, right? But <clears throat> the new generation accountants are different in that sense because we look at a tax return and we don't look for how much time it's going to take me. It doesn't matter because eventually putting numbers into a program will be done by artificial artificial intelligence, Right. Um, what I, when I look at a tax return, I look at how many opportunities were missed in terms of restructuring, income shifting, or whatever it may be. And that's legal and there's zero risk. So it's not something that like we take risk or we take certain positions and other firms are more kind of conservative. No, that's not the kind of the the two choices that we are facing. It's more like when you are in that first bucket and you kind of have to <clears throat> compete on price with other firms, right? Um, what you, what ends up happening is in order to build or create uh, the life that you want, you know, decent living, we're not talking about like luxurious, super luxurious living, but decent living for yourself and your family, you have to take on two to 300 clients to make that happen. And there are only 365 days in a year. Well, 366 this year. Um, but think about it. Like during tax season, you have to finish, let's say, 200 tax returns. How much time do you think it takes, especially if it's new clients, you have to set them up and, and collect information and back and forth and emails. That takes a huge amount of time. You don't have a minute to stop and think, what can we do for this client? Which is why services like mine are much higher, much more, much more expensive. They cost much more, but 
I actually limit the number of clients that I'm taking on. Currently, I'm actually, I have a wait list. Um, so I'm not taking on any more clients because I don't want to sacrifice quality to get more money in the door. So it seems and, that yeah. you're just trying to do a different job. Like you don't want to compete with the cookie cutter people that do your taxes. You want to offer a different service. So you're you're basically no longer competing with the bigger accounting firms that just do your taxes or, you know, whatever it is they do, you want to offer a more specialized service, but there are also less people that even know that this service is available. So you're, I don't see this new wave of accounting as competition to like the people that do your taxes. You're just like, hey, I can offer value to your business in a way that you didn't know before. Correct. That's exactly what it is. And so for like tax planning service, it's a standalone service. So yes, you can have it as kind of an onboarding process of you as a client, but you can also have it as a um, just a standalone. So you don't have to leave your current accountant. So um, you that's that's exactly what it is. I don't compete. I don't really have competition because, you know, there was a research um, a couple of years ago that showed that there was about 700 clients per tax preparer in the U.S. And that's only the people who actually use an accountant to prepare their taxes. And think about it, 700 people per tax preparer. That's insane. So you might just and, not want to do that. Like you are choosing to do a different job. Correct. And I almost see it as independent. Like who cares what the people that that are doing your taxes are doing? You're providing this other service that you think is adding value. Well, correct. So, So I, going back to kind of the overall topic for today, Basically what happens is if you like that most important decision in terms of the entity and, and all of that, that you make, it may cost you a little bit of money in the beginning, but, um, realistically it actually will save you a ton of money later. So you can use a regular preparer for the years that you kind of are growing your business so that you can save money. But then uh, once your business is at a point where there is some strategic planning involved, that would save you actually money every year in tax. That's kind of what you, what you should do. And, you know, a lot of people, like you said, they don't know that it exists, but that's why I'm doing the podcast and wrote a book and, you know, launched a membership because people need to know that they can cost themselves anywhere from three to $25,000 just on that service. You know, once they, let's say are in business and they're like, Oh my God, I'm paying so much money in tax. How can I, do something about it. Well, a tax planner and uh, something like a cleanup or in, you know, in the books or whatever can cost you, the cleanup alone can cost you two to $3,000, right? For the QuickBooks, for example. But the tax planning, my plans start at 5,000 and go up to 35 if there's enough savings. So there's always this return on investment kind of situation, right? But all of those other years that you cannot get back any money, you know, in tax, like you just wasted all of that. 
So it's just something for people to know that it exists, that it's out there, that it's not just to Google, you know, this thing and, and be done with it. No. So could there be an argument for switching from like a W-2 to a consulting type business based on like tax savings? So, um, yes, but also just a little disclaimer that technically you can't, you can't just kind of switch and work for the same company. No, no, no. I mean, as far as the worker is concerned, so I'm, I'm on a W2 now, I could schedule a consult and be like, Hey, if you do the same work you're doing every day and you put in some extra time actually getting these contracts. Cause you know, I interview once I have the job for as long as that company is okay. Mm-hmm. You could have a, like a convincing argument that says, okay, you can work the same number of hours and have X tax savings. If you're able to find the clients and have it be a consulting business as opposed to a W2. Yeah, absolutely. So W-2 is the only, and only W-2, let's say there's no other investments or anything going on, right? So W-2 is the only scenario where you can and should do your own taxes and using TurboTax or H&R Block or whatever it is, um, because there's not much tax savings you can do. I mean, yes, there is something called a conservation easement. However, it's a, one of the tax strategies. However, it's a highly risky um, strategy. And I personally don't use it and don't offer it just because it in, you know, it, it makes sense for people who have high W-2s and they really can't do anything about the, the shifting that income to somewhere else. Um, but that's with the W-2, you really don't have an opportunity to save much money on tax. However, just keep in mind that when you are in a W-2, 7.5%, roughly 7.65, but roughly 7.5% of your Social Security and Medicare is paid by the employer. Right. Like there are benefits for working for a company on a W-2, like my healthcare is cheaper, I get a 401k, like all that stuff. Yep. So it is easier for me to think about but if you were to tell me that if I worked the same number of hours and I was willing to learn that client acquisition part, like I could save, I don't know, 20% tax, that would be like an interesting thing to walk someone through, especially if yeah. the thing that they're doing can be more or less easily transferred to, I don't work on three teams at one company. I work for three companies doing three different things, but they're all... Say, sort of the same work like yep. I'm on multiple teams all the time doing different work for different teams I could see that just being two different companies that I'm working on their stuff and I'm just billing that's, them separate yeah that's exactly right and in that case you will be saving money um, in tax for sure there are strategies that you can incorporate depending on your kind of your life how your life is set up and stuff like that like the the reason I say that is because I believe that business is personal. So we, um, let's say you're supporting a relative, 
mm-hmm. or you're not supporting anybody. Um, so if you're supporting a relative, there are income shifting strategies that can be incorporated if you are a freelancer and have your own company, whether it's an LLC or a corporation or whatever it is. So there are things that you can do to reduce your taxes um, kind of proactively. But like I said, it, it requires a kind of a whole new mindset of the accounting service. And I would I would guess that you would have to charge much more for your work because when I work for a company, I'm assuming that company is billing like whatever department or vendor that I am doing work on their end much more than they're paying me. For example, yes. like yeah. if I make 20 bucks an hour, the company could be charging 50 because they have to pay for my computer, my seat, my time, my taxes, all that stuff. Absolutely. Okay. So there's, I mean, there is kind of a um, balance between like having, you know, stability, kind of quote unquote stability, because we've already talked about the fact that how W-2s are stable or unstable, um, between that stability and benefits versus kind of being self-employed. Um, but in terms of the tax opportunities, there's definitely much more when you're self-employed. Okay. Pretty interesting. So I guess the uh, conclusion for today would be, uh, would be what? I mean, we kind of started in one topic and transitioned into something else. (laughs) I mean, the conclusion has to be that there's more opportunity if you choose to kind of find it. Like there's stuff that you can be doing that you don't know about. And there are professionals that do do these sort of like services. And if you're in a business situation where you're uncertain, it might be worthwhile to learn about additional savings or tax strategies or legal entity strategies that are right for your business. And they might not be just apparent to you day to day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and if you're just starting out, um, I guess my, my two cents of advice would be make sure that your expenses and income are in a separate account. Even if it's a personal credit card, it's designated, let's say, to only business purposes and stuff. And consider kind of hiring a tax planner to figure out whether or not you should create an entity and what kind. Like that's probably the two things that are of the like utmost importance. Okay, that makes sense to me. Good, <laughs> good. All right, so I think we'll wrap up for today. Yeah. See you next uh, week. See you next week.